Uh, thanks for joining in this morning. Uh, as Alex said, we're working really hard to figure out how we can start getting back to the church. We're not there yet, so thanks for throwing us on your big screen or your phone or your tablet or your computer. Uh, we're very, very excited. We've been in this brand new series uh, that was planned in a year in advance where we're studying the book of First Peter. And we titled it a year ago, Hope in the Midst of Chaos. Uh, and it seems pretty fitting today. Someone might tune in and go, oh, okay, they're just playing off the COVID thing. This, this was planned a year ago. The content the, the, the title, everything was planned. And that's not because Alex and I are brilliant by no stretch. It's because God knew. He knew that we needed some meat. He knew that we were going to need to be in First Peter because the whole idea behind this book is writing to a group of churches in kind of Asia Minor area, modern day Turkey, that were living in exile. They were living in a foreign land and, and ostracized predominantly because of their faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. They didn't really fit in. And so they were dealing with a pandemic on a completely different crisis level, but very similar words for us today. How do we live in the midst of current day circumstances? How do we live in today's world. And so that's what we're studying. If you missed any of the previous messages from myself and Alex, you can go back onto the website and tune into those. This morning, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. So if you didn't grab your Bible, hit pause, run and grab your Bible, come back. Uh, if you've got kids in the room, just have it open on their lap. We believe in the power of the Word of God. And we're going to be unpacking this. I will warn you in advance, it is meaty. There's a lot here. So we're going to keep it moving. There's some academia side of it, but then a very, very personal message, not just from me to you, but I believe from the mouth and the writings of Peter, directed and inspired by the Holy Spirit, not only for the people who read it for the first time, but for you. Uh, and so we're very, very excited about this morning. Uh, before we get to that, in 1979, a TV show premiered on television that began to change things. This was before Google and YouTube, because those of us who are homeowners now, I don't know what we would do without Google and YouTube to figure out how we do certain things. Well, uh, prior to that existing, there was a TV show called This Old House. Some of you can remember when this premiered with Bob Vila. Bob Vila hosted this show from about 1979 to about 1989. And over the years, as the show continued to grow, and it still goes today, uh, homes were built and rebuilt, remodeled, even moved. But it was a whole show on building projects. And people got to learn different things. They got ideas, but really they got to follow these projects along the way. Now we have an entire channel, actually several channels on cable or the network that kind of describe how and show how do we build houses and remodel them and give you ideas. But it really kind of launched in 1979 with this show. And the church has been, been being built for over 2,000 years. This, this isn't a new concept. This isn't a new idea that God has been in part of a building project for well over 2,000 years where the church continues to be built and remodeled and moved. And newsflash, it involves you and it involves me even today, here, and now. Now, my grandpa, my grandpa West, loved building projects. 
uh, in Springfield, Illinois, had a shop set up in his garage. Uh, and almost always the car was out of there because he was always building something. He was always tinkering around, building a cedar chest for one of his grandkids, uh, building bookshelves, building nightstands, building birdhouses and wind chimes, anything that he could get his hands He was always building. That got passed down to my parents. They love building projects. And I love building projects. Got passed down to me. And so I love seeing projects come together. And one of the great things about this is that is at the heart of God, that he is building something. He's building something on the macro level, but he's also building something on the very micro personal level, and that is your life. Now, let me tell you the end of the sermon before we begin the sermon. You and I are God's building project. We are. And we're going to see that not only in our passage, but if you choose to look at all the scriptures, you're going to see that very clearly. And so uh, this, the, the passage will be on the screen, uh, and so you can follow along or you can grab your Bible. Let's begin in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you, you are the living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his high priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never ever be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And then he says this, he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. We're going to unpack that. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the faith that was planned for them. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people, Rock Creek Church. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness out of the sin, out of the brokenness. He called you out of that into his wonderful light, the life he has planned for you. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, in other words, you had condemnation, but now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, exiles, if you would, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. The word of the Lord. This passage has so much packed into it for immediate living, but also for eternal living, for today, but also for the end times, uh, for the follower of Jesus and for the one who stumbles. 
You might recall that Jesus spoke about going to his father's house where there's lots and lots of room. It's a big, big house with a big, big table. Is that kind of how it goes, roughly, Alex? All right. Nevertheless, I'm not singing it for you, but I'm sure you guys could sing that at home. But Jesus spoke of heaven being his father's house. I don't know if you remember that in, in the Gospels. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and there's many rooms. And, and I'm going there so that you can be with me also. And if this were not true, I would have told you. I would have made things right. Jesus was referring to a literal place called heaven to which every person who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that they are saved, that they will spend eternity with him. But until that time comes to fruition, by whatever means, either by natural death or by Jesus coming again, Peter would tell us of God's intermediate building project. That until that time comes, until you take your last breath, the oldest of the old to the youngest of the young, there's a building project here on earth called the church. And the church is being built up by every single believer. Not the spiritual superstars, not the older generation, not the millennial generation, not the cool kids, not the ones with the most money, but by every single believer is building up the church. Peter says that salvation by faith is in the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. The cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And that being in the cornerstone, it relieves disappointment. That is to say, when you have disappointment in your life, when you have struggle in your life, the cornerstone is what gets you through. The cornerstone is what you stand upon because it cannot be shaken. It cannot be cracked. And this brings precious value to the believer of Christ. And that's good for those of you who are following. That is really good news because it means no matter what happens in your life, no matter what struggles you have, no matter what circumstances are thrown at you, COVID or otherwise, no matter what opposition that you're facing, no matter what disappointment you have, regardless of your failures, your life matters because you belong to God, because he's your cornerstone. Because you're part of a cornerstone that can't be shaken, that, that will withstand all time. And then in our passage, you'll see that Peter kind of strings together a couple of Old Testament scripture passages. He grabs imagery from Psalm 118 and Isaiah 8, and most scholars believe that he had his fellow Jews in mind. Fellow Jews in mind that were walking away from the faith, that weren't believing anymore. Now we're saying this isn't worth it anymore. And literally rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. And if we look at verse 4, look with verse 4 with me. If you have a marker or a pen or pencil, I'm going to give you a word to circle. And it's the word coming. You are coming to Christ. This is really important because this coming refers not to our initial decision to follow Jesus. 
but rather it, it talks about our drawing nearer to God through our spiritual growth in fellowship with God and other believers. So grab your pen and circle the word coming. That's growth. You are coming. You are growing towards Christ. You are, you are sealing your life attached to him. And as a result, you are the living cornerstone along with Christ. So stay with me on this because we're going to get a little bit of an academic side of things and then transition to make it very, very personal. The Greek verb coming is a present participle connected to the main verb of the sentence, you are being built up. Why does that matter? Peter declares that by drawing nearer to Christ, we are being built up. We being the individual, but also we being the church. As you draw near to Christ, the church is getting stronger. The kingdom of God here on earth, as it is in heaven, is getting stronger. And you, as the individual follower of Jesus, is being built up. Notice that the verb is in the passive, not the active voice. Why does that matter? That means God is the one ultimately responsible for your spiritual growth. He is the one growing you. He is the one drawing you close to him. He is the one prompting your heart to go, hey, you should probably read some verses in your Bible. Hey, you should probably pray. Hey, you should probably change the channel. He is the one that is growing you. We participate to be sure, but we should never let it enter our minds that you and I are ultimately responsible for our growth. That's not true. That's different than saying, okay, I want to uh, have stronger chest muscles. Okay, so I'm not going to do that. It's God's job to grow them. Well, you are never going to have chest muscles then. But you have to do some push-ups. You got to do some workouts. You got to go to the gym. You're not just going to like morph these muscles out of nowhere. That's different than spiritual growth. God grows the heart. God grows the mind. God grows the soul. Paul reminded us of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I planted. In other words, I, I told people what was going on. I told them about the gospel. And then he says, Apollos watered, meaning he discipled. He continued the process, but how does it end? But God was causing the growth. You see, you and I have, we have a, a part in this. We have a part with our kids. We have a part with our life group. We have a part with Rock Creek Church, but it's God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one that grows the heart. And so what about those who believe in Jesus? Well, Peter uses a special metaphor. He calls them living stones who are being built up as a spiritual house. You might wonder where Paul received this illustration of the people of God as a building. Well, earlier in his life, you may recall, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 16. Peter confessed to Jesus, you, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And I don't know what Peter thought Jesus was going to say back to him, but I'm pretty sure he didn't expect this. Jesus famously replied to him, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, 
Imagine if, if I or someone else came to you and said, you are the rock. And upon you, God has chosen to build his church all around the world. I wonder how you would respond. I, I wonder if you would say, great choice. I, I'm a, I am obviously the great choice to build the church. Or I wonder if you would shake a little bit and go, you got the wrong woman. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong kid. But that's exactly what Jesus does with Peter. And then Peter builds on that. He doesn't refer to it as rock. And most scholars will believe that it's because Peter was setting aside something very special. But he was still referring to it as living stones. And so it continues today. You and I are in the process of a construction project. Now, if you've ever been around a construction project, I know John McGovern, you've been around plenty of these. Uh, sometimes they're really cool. Sometimes they're messy. Sometimes things get broken. Sometimes an enormous amount of money is wasted. Sometimes the project goes longer than it ought to. Sometimes there's red tape. Construction projects generally aren't neat and tidy. And so it is with you and I. So it is with the church. So it is as Peter is encouraging these churches all around thousands of miles that occupy the land of these churches saying, hey, it's not going to always be pretty. It's not always going to be perfect, but you are part of God's construction process. Christ is in the process of building up the church and those dead stones are unearthed. They're cleaned up, they're polished, and they're changed and brought to life as living stones and then fitted into God's building. That's what Peter is saying to the people that are receiving this letter, and that's what God is saying to you and I today. In other words, never underestimate your important part of the larger community of Christ. Don't think you don't matter. Don't think like Alex alluded to that uh, I can't really run slides because I don't even own a computer. I've never even turned one on. But maybe you can paint. Maybe you can mow the lawn. Maybe you could uh, help us clean, help us uh, take things to ARC, uh, help us work on systems. You matter. You say, well, I can't do that. I'm, I'm online schooling with my kids. I'm pouring to them. Then do that well. You matter. Well, I can't do all the other stuff because I'm really focusing on loving my neighbors. Then do that well. You matter. You matter to the kingdom of God and the project. And Peter is teaching these believers how to hang in there as exiles in a, for, in a foreign land. How to encourage them. And he's also stressing how valuable each and every one of them are in God's sight. And here's where it becomes really personal. You are important in the eyes of God. Maybe you haven't heard that for a while. Maybe you didn't hear that growing up. God loves you. He loves humanity in general, but he loves you. He has his name. He has your name, the Bible says, etched and carved in the palm of his hand. He cares about you. You have value. You have significance. You have beauty. And there's hope for you. There's hope for your today and there's hope for your tomorrow. You have a future with God because he has a plan for you. 
And it's not just a plan for today. It's, it's part of something you'll never even be able to see. And it's today and tomorrow. There's new days. And the Bible tells us that God will continue that work until the day of Christ Jesus. In our passage, in verse 9, we're told that we are part of the high priest. Or in your version, it might say you're part of the royal priesthood. Uh, That means that we have unmediated access to the throne of God. Nothing's stopping you. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 gives us insight to this. He says, because because you are a royal priesthood, because you have unmediated access, here's what you're to do. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Because you're a royal priest, because you have unmediated access, because no one's stopping you, then let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. They, there, let's see. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Because you have unmediated access, because you can just approach, then do it. Don't delay. Do it now. Do it in the morning. Do it when you lay down. Do it when you get up. Continually go before the throne of God. And that means, as we discussed in a previous sermon series where we looked at all the Old Testament sacrifices, that we don't need any animal sacrifices anymore. We don't need a priestly mediator to serve as a middleman to approach the throne of God. No ritual, no ceremony gives us access to the door of heaven. We have direct access to the throne of heaven because of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the truth. So that's part of the royal priesthood, but it also means that we have the privilege and the responsibility of serving as priests on behalf of one another. To care for each other. To admonish one another. All throughout the scriptures, over and over and over, we are told to pray for one another. To encourage one another. To provide for one another. And even in the book of James, it says to confess our sins to one another. You see, every follower of Jesus, you're all not called to be a preacher, a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary, uh, a, a theology student, but you are called to bring your sacrifice of praise. That's for every believer. You are called to bring your sacrifice of spiritual worship. Uh, The book of Hebrews, again, chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, gives us a clear indication of what kind of sacrifices from what Peter is referring to, what are those things that are appropriate. Here's what he says. Through him, Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices... God is pleased. Now, you'd say, well, what that's saying then is if we do certain things in the Bible, then God is proud of me. No, it didn't say that. It just said he's pleased. It didn't even say that he's pleased with the one doing it. It just means he's pleased. His heart is happy. 
It's when I, uh, for me, I, I, if all my kids are in the same room and there's no fighting going on, my heart is pleased. I'm not pleased with any individual. I'm just, I'm, I'm in a good place because things are happening as they ought to. And it's the same thing when we offer sacrifices to God, when we care for one another, when we do good for each other, God is pleased because it's right. And in addition to being living stones in God's building, Peter reminds us that we are members of a holy nation. Now, if you're a Broncos fan, you've heard of Raider Nation. Uh, this is nowhere near that. This is bigger and better than that, especially they're going to Las Vegas where people are going to die from heat strokes in the game. This is a holy nation. This is a, a set-apart group that God is using to do great, great things, a group of people that are benefactors of God's mercy. And because of those designations, Peter borrows language and imagery from the book of Deuteronomy to help the readers understand this. In doing so, he's drawing an analogy between Israel as a specifically chosen people in the Old Testament and the church as a special group of people. Now, I'll say this, you are special. We're going to unpack that here in just a moment, but you are special. But here is how Peter draws from the book of Deuteronomy. It's actually from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, and here's what it says. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Remember the word possession. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the, all the peoples. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, going back to Abraham, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." This is what Peter is drawing. And what's the link? What does this mean? It means that just as God called the people of Israel to be a unique nation with a special purpose among the pagan kingdoms, God is establishing his church in a broken world that doesn't even want to be a part of the discussion of God. You were chosen. You're special. Now, before this goes to your head, thinking that you're super, super special, I need to remind us that we're not chosen because we're beautiful. We're not chosen because we're super intelligent. We're not chosen because we're high morality or we've got great influence. When God chose us sinful and wretched, not even one that is good, the Bible says, he made us into a holy nation. He didn't choose us because we were a holy nation. He made us into a holy nation, the church today. Because all you have to do is look around your room right now and you know that is not a holy nation sitting in the room with you. We have sin. We have struggles. We have things we don't like about ourselves. We have filth that's still being washed away. 
But as we learned a few weeks ago, holiness means set apart, to be used for something. It doesn't mean perfect. It's set apart. In other words, we are set apart as a nation for God for a special purpose. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, so that you can show the goodness of God. In other words, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. That's the work of God. Our specialness comes about because we are owned by someone special. This is where possession comes back in. Now, some of you might push back on this because you're like, no man possesses me. No God possesses me. I'm my own individual. Well, let me paint a picture of why this is so important to be possessed. Think about how much the value of something very ordinary increases if it has been owned by someone extraordinary. An old, dirty dictionary becomes priceless if it sat on the desk of Abraham Lincoln. A broken-down, dirty chair becomes more expensive and interesting if Winston Churchill sat on it with his head down into his hands working on his speeches. A dirty, shredded American flag that's torn to bits becomes priceless and beyond special if it was carried on the battlefield of Gettysburg. And yes, a normal man, woman, child becomes extraordinary in their significance if he or she is the personal possession and family member of God Almighty. That's what makes you special. That's what makes you so significant. That's what gives you an identity. That's what gives you the strength to move on, to continue to live in a land of exile, in a land of disappointments, in a land where there's no graduation, where there's a land where who knows what's going to happen in the fall, where jobs are on the line, where finances are tight, where you're kind of at your wit's end with everybody being under the same roof 24 hours a day. You're significant and you can hang in there because you are possessed by the God of all creation. And that fact that we are not our own makes a difference on how we live and for whom we live for. That's the whole point of Peter's summary. Renewing our relationship with God involves remembering our position and and responding with hope regardless of our circumstances. Friends, listen. If you are a follower of Christ, verses 10 through 11, they are for you. Once you had no identity, but now you have the identity of the King of Kings. You were a nobody. No significance. But now you have all the significance in the world. Once you had no mercy, the penalty of your sin was death condemnation, separation, darkness. But now by the cross of Jesus Christ, you have received the mercy of God. And as Peter encouraged the readers in the first century church, I encourage you. Because of this new identity, stay away from the worldly desires that wage 
war against your very souls. Be careful to live well among your unbelieving neighbors because even though they might accuse you at some point of thinking wrong, talking wrong, uh, acting wrong, they will see your honorable behavior in following God and in turn they will give honor to God when he judges the world. This is a big passage. It's way too much to adequately unpack in 30 minutes. So that's why I want to encourage you, whether it be today or tomorrow sometime this week, go back over uh, this passage, even read all of 1 Peter. It's, it's very, very short. There's only five chapters. But, but specifically go through verses 4 through t- uh, 12 and, and take a look at what Peter is saying. There are warnings. There are hopes. There are solutions. There are unshakable reminders about God's absolute truth. So you have heard you have heard the word of the Lord. And I hope and pray that you respond accordingly. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the scriptures. Man, every page is is so packed. And it's, it's packed with you never giving up on us. For you constantly providing another way to get to you. Constantly providing a, a, a way to surrender our hearts and to receive forgiveness of our sin. Constantly putting Jesus on every single page. Reminding us that you didn't have any identity before me. You didn't have any mercy before me. But now you've got everything at your fingertips. Everything that's available to you is available to us as your children. As as family members of the royal priesthood. May we not squander that. May we love others the way that you love us. And when we sin, when we break down, when we struggle, would you, great God and King, who grows our heart, lift us up, dust us off, and may we try again and continue to grow and to crave the nourishment because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we've prayed and that we've studied your word.